Well, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, raise your hand. We'll get a Bible to you. You definitely want to put your uh, eyes on the scriptures. Uh, there's a couple of ushers now. They'll get you a Bible if you need one. Also, you can open up your smartphone or tablet to the YouVersion Bible app and follow along there. There's uh, not only the scriptures, but also some notes in the app for you as well. 1 Samuel Chapter 3, as we continue on in our study through the book of 1 Samuel. It's the third week that we've been in 1 Samuel, and we're in chapter 3. And man, I'll tell you, that is, we're making good time. That's going to change pretty soon. Real quick, that's going to slow down. We're not going to make it through an entire chapter every week. But 1 Samuel chapter 3. What if I told you that you have been created and crafted by God with divine purpose and divine destiny? What if I told you that? What, is that? what does that stir up inside you? What does that make you think? What does that make you feel? That God has crafted you. He's carefully put you together on purpose for a purpose. What, what, what does that do with you? Now, for some of you, when I say that, your defenses immediately go up and you're think, you think I'm trying to manipulate you with some sort of emotional massage before I spring my trap on you. I'm not doing that. I'm just trying to get you to think about like this concept. You see, when you think that way, when you think I'm going to uh, spring a trap on you, it's because you have been so beaten up, so torn down, so discouraged for so long by someone else's voice rattling around in your head that you can't even consider that thought, that God made me on purpose, that God made me with, de with destiny, that God, God hasn't just, you know, sprinkled some, some uh, uh, stuff together, some dirt and some, you know, whatever, some parts and just goes, well, we'll just see what happens with this one. We'll roll the dice on this and see how it goes. That's just not what's happening. But some of you think that way and, and you think I don't deserve God's blessing. I mean, I've gotten way more than, than I should ever receive from God. And, and who am I to ask for any more? And, and, and that is, I want to let you know, that is not the voice of God. If you hear that voice, it's not his voice. That, that is not the voice of God. It's, you know, if you're, if you're going to, if one of the things that you need to do is manage your emotions, if you're going to do that with wisdom, then you need to learn to distinguish between God's voice, your own voice, maybe it's their voice, somebody else's voice, or maybe even it, it's a demonic or satanic voice that's trying to lead your life. You've got to discern these. You've got to know which is which. And it's not always simple or easy to do. You see, the truth is you're not an accident. You're not a product of random chance, even if your parents told you you are. Like, we, we did not plan you. Like, one of the things I, my wife and I say all the time is we didn't try to have any kids and we have four. Um, so, but it might have not been a plan for us, but it was absolutely 100% a plan from God. He did it on purpose. He put you where you are, when you are, uh, with the family and influence and position and place that you are. God has orchestrated all of that stuff. It might seem like random chance to you, uh, but it's, it's absolutely not. It is purpose that's behind it. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 says it like this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that uh, we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Here's the thing. 
The first and most important calling that's on your life is to be saved. If you have not dedicated your life to Jesus, isn't that the way it starts in Ephesians chapter 2? Verse 8 says, you've been saved by grace when you believed. That Jesus' blood, when Jesus went to the cross, when he bled, when he died, he didn't do it because it was a nice thing to do. He didn't do it because he was overpowered by somebody. He didn't wake up and just have a bad day and get betrayed by that mean guy. And that, uh, you, know, you know you can always tell who Judas is because in the pictures he's got the frowny face and he doesn't have a halo. Um, it's not, that's not why Jesus went to the cross. He did so on purpose to save you, to redeem your soul, to, to purchase you from death and hell. That's why. So if it, the number one thing, the calling on your life is you need to be saved. So if that hasn't happened, get that settled. Jesus died for you. You believe that. You abandon yourself and your sin and you dedicate your life to Jesus. And you can do it right now. You don't need me to lead you in any kind of prayer. You don't, if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit happening upon you right now, then you do just that. Give your life to Jesus. Secondly, though, there's a second part to this. That, that uh, Notice there in Ephesians uh, 2, it says... Um, so that we can do at the very end, verse 10, so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. The things he planned for us long ago. God planned these things and he planned for you to do them. Before you were born, before your parents were born, go all the way back to before there was a planet. God had a plan for you. God had you in mind and he knew what he wanted you to do. You've been designed with divine destiny. Now in 1 Samuel 3, we're gonna be shown four essential components of faithfulness that enable you to fulfill the calling that God has on your life. That's what we're gonna be looking at in 1 Samuel chapter three. But the, the thing is, I wanna ask you these two questions before we jump into this. Do you know what your calling is? Do you know why God made you? Do you know why he allows you to draw breath right now? Do you know what it is? And secondly, if you do, are you faithfully doing it? Are you actually pursuing that for which God has made you? It is very possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life. I don't want that for me and I don't want that for any of us. I don't want to live a wasted life. So here's our big idea as we look into 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's this, faithfulness is the key that unlocks the door to greatness. Faithfulness is the key that unlocks the door to greatness. If you want to experience the calling God has on your life, if you want to know what greatness is, then you're going to have to go through that door. And the only way to get through that door is faithfulness. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses uh, verse one, and we're gonna read all the way through chapter four, verse one, okay? I'm not losing my mind. I'm actually reading chapter four, verse one on purpose, all right? Uh, chapter three, one says this. Now, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow di so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. 
And the Lord called to Samuel again a third time. So he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls, if he calls you that you say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And in that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and, Samuel, uh, and said, Samuel, my son. And he, and he answered, here I am. Then he said, what is the word which the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that uh, he said to you. Then Samuel uh, told him everything and he did not hide from him uh, he, and he hid nothing uh, from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came uh, to all Israel. And we'll stop halfway through verse 1. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to open it and to look into it. And we pray that you would speak to us, God. Help us to see your divine calling upon our lives. Help us to see through Samuel's life the way that you have called us. And God, give us the courage to faithfully follow you the direction you take us. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, to this morning, we're going to look at this uh, in four parts, this section in four parts. Um, and I, I stole these four parts from Warren Mearsby because he's smarter than me. All right. The first part is going to be uh, chapter three, verses one through nine, an attentive ear. Uh, the second part is verses 10 through 14, an obedient will. And then uh, the third part is verses 15 through 18, a humble heart. And the fourth part, 19, verse 19 through chapter four, verse one, a godly Walk. Now remember, what we're looking at in all of these, in these four things, is that faithfulness is the key that unlocks the door to greatness. But here's what I want to say before we go any further with this. It is vital for us to define and to measure greatness by the Lord and his standard, not by our own standards or by the world's standards. Because when I say greatness, some of you, like in your head, it's like, yeah, I just, I want to be a pop star, and I want to make millions of dollars, and I want to play in the NBA or whatever. That was my dream, but it turns out I was short and white, so it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> like, that's just the way that it went. Uh, the, the thing is, is that here, here's, here's what it is. God defines greatness as faithfulness. That's the way that God defines greatness. So if you don't know what God has made you for, if you don't know what God has intended you to, then how can you be faithful to it? You can't. That's the answer. It's not possible. So you got to know what God's made you for, know what God's intended you toward, and be faithful to that. That's what greatness 
is. So what's the first part of this? This first component is an attentive ear, verses 1 through 3. Now look back at verse 1. It says this, now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord. See that word now? What that's indicating to us is that some time has passed. Now, we're not sure how long, uh, how much time has passed, how long it is. In, in uh, the, the first couple of cha- chapter two, we noted that Samuel was a toddler. He was around three, four years old, something like that. Now some time has passed, and we don't know how old he is. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says he was 12. There's really no way for us to know uh, how old he was. He was not a toddler. But he was not an adult. He was somewhere in between. That's what the word boy means. It means that he was somewhere in there. So he could have been eight. He could have been 15. We just don't know. But he's somewhere in there. But here's the thing. Kids and teens are capable of serving the Lord. They're absolutely capable of serving the Lord. And if you look around at redemption, you will see lots and lots of minors serving the Lord. There's, there's some that are serving as ushers. There's one right now running a computer. Uh, there are uh, minors upstairs helping in the kids' ministry. They serve, there's, the coffee you drank this morning, made by a teen. Uh, that just, there are lots and lots of minors serving the Lord here at Redemption. It's a great and amazing thing. And we need to raise the bar and expect more out of our kids. They can do more. They just need opportunity. We, we need to encourage them toward it, open the door for it. And what, you know what happens when they fail? Because they will. You know how I, how I know? Because I did, right? And when they fail at stuff, we don't get down on them for it. We encourage them, pick them back up, dust them off, and send them off again. Let's try, let's try to do this again. We need to raise the bar for our kids and expect more out of them because they can produce more. Now, notice one of the things there in verse 1 as well is that the word of God was rare. The word of the Lord was, was rare. It's a very spiritually um, bleak state in the nation of Israel. In chapter 2, we, or excuse me, verse 2, we see that the high priest was nearly blind. We see also in verse 3 that the menorah uh, the, is this symbol of God's light given through God's word. It's burning out, it's dim, and it's going out. Um, it, it is a, a terrible situation. The ark of God, God's law, has been reduced to just a trinket that sits over there. It's like a lucky rabbit's foot. We'll see that next, in the next chapter, uh, that they think that it's going to save them. It's just a very spiritually weak state of what's going on here. And so God's word is just not going out. The high priest is, is going blind, and that's just symbolism of, of the fact that he doesn't see the things of the Lord, and he's not really pursuing the things of the Lord. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily speaking so much of his actual physical blindness, though it is. So things are just not looking really good. And then verse 4, notice it says, that the Lord called Samuel. It's in this state. That's what that means. It's in this situation. It's in that state. It's in these conditions that God moves. Out of the chaos, God brings order. Out of the insanity, God moves. And isn't that what we need? I mean, when we look back at the the last year of 2020 and we see the chaos and the destruction and the insanity, we need God to intervene. We need God to interrupt our mess and bring order where we can't. That we don't, we don't need the president that's in the White House now to stay. We don't need a president that's going to come in, to that guy to come in. We don't need certain people in certain uh, uh, places of government. They're not going to save us. 
that our Savior isn't a person in terms of humanity, that our Savior is the person of Jesus Christ. That's who our Savior is. And if we're looking to something or somebody else to save us, then we are looking to the wrong place. We need God to move. We need him to intervene. And it's in this state of, of just everything's looking bad, everything's going the wrong direction, God does something. And that's what, that's what we expect from him in our lives. If God doesn't move, then we have no hope. If God doesn't speak, then we have no hope. If God doesn't intervene, then we have no hope. God has to supernaturally disrupt our chaos or we will plunge deeper and deeper into folly. And so in this, God speaks. Now, here's the thing. The, uh, excuse me, the way he changes everything is by speaking. Notice what it says there? He called to Samuel. That, that God changes things. He interrupts the chaos. He brings order through speaking because his word is what changes everything. Now, this isn't that God hasn't been speaking all along. That, that's not what's happening. It's that nobody's been listening. There hasn't been an attentive ear. That's the problem. That's the issue. You see, communication is one of those things that requires two parts. It requires transmission and reception. That's, why, that's a marriage tip, just so you know, guys. You've got to actually listen, right? Uh, here's another marriage tip, ladies. If he's watching the TV, he's not listening, right? You can say it. It's just not going in. He might say yes, and he might, you know, go along with what you, whatever you're talking about, but it's just not happening. So you got to actually have that kind of, you know, uh, connection going on. When Micah and I first got married, one of the things she would do is she would come up to me and she would put her hands on my eyes like this, and she'd put her face on the other side of, you know, on her hands, and it would just be like eye to eye. And that was one of the ways that she was like, I need you to focus on me completely. Don't look at anything else. You can't even see anything else. Just me. It's vital for communication to happen like that. Like right now, there are TV waves and radio waves and Wi-Fi waves floating through the air, but you can't hear any of it or see any of it, can you? I hope not. If you do, you have weird issues going on inside your head. The reason you can't is because you can't receive it. It doesn't mean it's not there. It's being broadcast. You're just not seeing it. That's how the word of God was in this time. And I would say that's very much how our world is today. That it's not that God is, it's not that God's not speaking. It's that, it's that people will not listen. God is speaking. God is bringing his word. God is giving direction. God is calling. And we're just so busy with our own stuff and our own lives and our own way and our own thing. We're like, yeah, yeah, God, I'll, maybe later. I, I really don't got time for your thing. You see, God calls to Samuel in verses four through eight three times. And each time he thinks it's Eli because verse seven, notice it says in verse seven, Samuel didn't know the Lord. And so Sam, Samuel gets up, you know, this is the middle of the night. We're not sure exactly what time, but it's, it's the middle of the night. Samuel's laying down, he's, he's asleep. And isn't this such an amazing thing to, to speak of the character of Samuel? He hears a voice, he thinks it's the blind guy, uh, Eli. And so he doesn't know what Eli needs, but he gets out of bed. He goes over to Eli's room and he checks on him. Hey, you called me, what did you need? Maybe he needs a drink of water. Maybe he's, you know, lost his pillow in the middle of the night and can't find it. Uh, who knows? But the thing is, is that Samuel is just willing to go. He just jumps out of bed and runs over there. I, I mean, you know, a lot of us, if somebody called in the middle of the night to us, we would just roll over and be like, yeah, take care of yourself, you know? But Samuel gets up and goes to take care of it. He, um, so God calls to him, and, and the reason he doesn't know it's God is because Samuel wasn't expecting God to speak to him. 
he wasn't, it wasn't something that Eli taught him about. It wasn't, it wasn't something that Eli told him could even happen, probably because Eli hadn't experienced it in a very long time. And so he'd just gotten, uh, he just thought that's the way that it was. God wasn't speaking. No, the problem, Eli, wasn't that God wasn't speaking. It was that you weren't listening. You see, faithfulness is to get up when you don't feel like it and make yourself available to what Jesus is calling you to. If you're gonna do what God's called you to do, you're not gonna feel like doing it all the time. Some days you might, other days you won't. And when you don't feel like it, that's when faithfulness has to kick in. If you're gonna wait for motivation, I just feel really motivated today. Guess what? You're not gonna do it. Because you won't feel motivated and then if you, if you just wait for that feeling to hit you and if I feel real motivated, I feel real great about it, then you're never going to move forward. Faithfulness doesn't wait for motivation. Faithfulness moves forward regardless of the feelings. And so Samuel gets out of bed and many people miss out on their calling because they simply won't get up. They, they just won't get up. So Eli puts together in verse nine, look at verse nine, he says, uh, therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, it shall be if he speaks to you, say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Samuel puts it together, or Eli puts it together, that God is the one speaking. That he thinks it's me because he hears a man's voice, but, uh, you know, it's actually God. And so it gives Samuel direction uh, to go. So not only do we see that Samuel has an attentive ear, but also an obedient will. Look at verse 10. It says this, now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. You see, at this moment, it's a critical, pivotal decision moment for Samuel. God calls. Samuel knows it's God. And Samuel has a decision to make. When God calls, do I answer? Or do I pretend like I don't hear him and I just you know, keep my eyes closed and roll over? You see, it's a very simple task that God gives him with a very high cost. His life is, a, is balancing at a tipping point. The choice that lay before Samuel is either obedience leading to further revelation or disobedience leading to further silence. That's what's laying before Samuel right now. That's the moment that he's at. It's kind of like with my kids, right? When my kids want something, uh, typically my wife and I use it as an opportunity to get something out of them, right? It's like, they're like, dad, I really want Chick-fil-A. I'm like, okay, that's going to cost $9,000. So you need to do the dishes and vacuum or something. I don't know what it is. We're going to get them to do something, right? And, and, and the thing is, is that if my kids want further blessing, they need to first do the thing that they were told to do, right? Obedience first, blessing after, not the other way around. If, if, you, give, if you give your kids the blessing first, they're not going to be obedient to the thing that you wanted first, right? So, you know, there's parts of that in their lives where they may want further blessings, but they've got to be obedient to what I've already told them in order to get those further blessings. And so Samuel here is willing to have that obedient attitude, that obedient will, that obedient heart to give himself over to what God called him to. And so it says there that God stood and called. Now, this is a rare moment, uh, not only in Samuel's life, but also the entire Old Testament. Uh, what I would say is that this is a moment uh, that's called a Christophany or a Theophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. 
that, that there's a physical manifestation of Jesus, of God, in the Old Testament. We see it a few times. Gideon has a moment where some guy shows up and talks to him, and then he's like, oh my gosh, that was God. And then uh, there's uh, Abraham has a moment like that where there's these three guys that come by, and he makes them some food, and then he realizes that was God. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a number of times. Joshua has a moment, you know, when they cross over the, the Jordan River, and then there's a guy standing there with a sword, and then he realizes that was God. These are Christophanies. This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. Now, here's something that I'm going to bet hasn't happened with you. You haven't had God show up in physical form and have a conversation with you. Probably not, right? Um, if you have, I want to talk to you afterward and kind of figure it out, see if, if you're really holy or crazy. I don't know which one it is. But the thing is, is that we tend to look at this stuff and we put it in this category of, yeah, that's kind of a weird fairy tale. Or maybe I'm just not that spiritual because that stuff doesn't happen in my life. You see, you got to not think of yourself as less spiritual because you don't have these kind of over-the-top experiences in your life spiritually. Uh, only a handful of Old Testament saints had those experiences, and it was only a couple of times. And so we've got to think of ourselves uh, less like that. I, I've had personally three of those kind of big moments with God where I knew God was speaking. And, and the way that it happened wasn't that somebody showed up and started talking to me. It was like a voice inside my mind that I knew wasn't my voice. Um, and, and it was just these moments. One of them was when I knew that Micah was going to be my wife. I, he had to tell me because I did, there's no way I had the courage to ask her uh, to marry me. But he just, he showed up and told me that. One of them was when I was going to plant the first church that we planted in California, that God spoke to me in this crazy moment to say that I want you to do this, to take this step of faith. But those, as I look back across my life, those are few and far between. That's not my every day. It's not like I sit and I just think, hey, Jesus, what do you got to say today? And then he downloads it. It's just not the way that it goes. For the most part, I'm just kind of, I think it seems good to me and to the Lord, like the book of Acts. It seems it's not sinful. I, th I kind of want to do this. It seems like it's appropriate. So I guess I'm just going to go this way and we'll see how God redirects my path. That's, that's kind of the way that it goes. David Guzik says it like this. We must hear from God. Listen, you hear a lot of voices. The preacher may speak. Your parents may speak to you. Your friends may speak to you. Your teacher may speak to you. People on the radio or television may speak to you and it all might be great. But what really matters is what God would speak to you, my friends. Their voices mean nothing for eternity unless God speaks to you. That's what we're going for. That's why we open the scriptures every single Sunday and we go through lots of it because you don't need to hear my voice and my prayer, my hope. The thing that we, we expect at redemption is every single week that as you hear my voice, you are actually hearing the voice of God. Not that I'm God, right? That's not what I mean. But that God speaks to you. That somehow in his word, he puts something in you that I could never do. That God meets with you and directs your life. He answers the question that you've been asking. He, he brings conviction upon your heart about, about this sin that's in your life that needs to be abandoned. He, he meets with you and he encourages you and refreshes you and grows you. That, that All of those things are not things that I have the power and capacity to do. But God does. But God does. He speaks. What you need is for God to speak. You see, the experience is not what is important. It's that God's voice is heard. That's the important part, that we hear God's voice. Verse 11 through 14 
God has this message for Samuel, but it's not a message for Samuel. It's actually through Samuel to Eli. Look at verse 11. It says this, Then the Lord uh, said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something uh, in Israel which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. What what that means is, is that it's going to be such a big, over-the-top thing that, you know, like, you know when you hear some news and it hits you and, like, your face feels like it's on fire or something? It's like, oh my goodness, that is crazy. Uh, It's one of those kinds of things. That's what that's talking about. Verse 12, In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to to end. In case you missed the all, from beginning to end, it's total. It's a complete judgment. Verse 13, for I've told him that I will judge his house forever uh, for the iniquity, which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. You see, God's message is not to Samuel. It's actually to Eli, but Samuel is the mouthpiece. Now, Samuel didn't know about the previous man of God in chapter 2, verse uh, 27. We read last week that this man of God shows up and tells Eli, hey, God's going to bring judgment upon your family, Eli. Uh, You need to change course. And God confirms that through Samuel. Here's the key. Faithfulness is to submit your purpose to the direction that Jesus has for you. Even when you don't understand it, Samuel didn't understand it. He didn't know what this was all about. He didn't have previous information. And... Uh, when it's difficult, when it's a difficult road. Put yourself in Samuel's shoes for a minute. You're a kid, right? And you are going to go to Eli, who is the highest national spiritual and political leader. And you're going to say, God's going to judge you. Like, no one, if you want to do that, you're the wrong guy to do that, right? The, nobody is excited about, I just want to go and say mean things to people who are in high positions of authority and power. And so here is Samuel in this place that's very, it's a very difficult, it's a very scary kind of a thing, and he doesn't understand all of it, but he knows this is what God has called him to, and that's where faithfulness comes together. Uh, number, verse 13, why is judgment coming? Notice because it says, verse 13, because Eli, uh, his sons made themselves vile and he did nothing to restrain them. Basically, this is God saying, Eli, your time is up. I told you, about, you should have known about this before I told you. I told you about it and you've still done nothing. So now your time's up. The time to repent is, is over. The time is up. And this just kind of, it speaks to me. It, th- it makes me think about those people who they kind of think, you know, I'll get, I'll get right with God later. You know, I just kind of want to do something in my life. I want to do my thing right now. I just want to have, have quote, fun. I don't know why any of it's fun. Uh, it actually ruins your life, but you know, I want to have fun and then I'll get right with God later. Well, here's the thing. There's coming a day where later will no longer be available. When you breathe your last on this side of eternity, there is no getting right with God on that side of eternity. The the Bible does say that every knee will bow before Jesus and every tongue will confess that he's God. But that doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. Absolutely not. Those who deny Jesus on this side of death when they get to that side of death, when when you breathe your last here and you realize there is an afterlife, and Jesus really is there, you will be so overcome by his glory and his majesty and his beauty that you will just fall to your knees in adoration and worship of him. But at that moment, it is too late. It's too late. There's no longer a chance at that point. The the repentance has to happen 
now. You see, the only sin God will not forgive is the one you will not repent of. That's the only sin he won't forgive, just like it is here with Eli. Thirdly, not only an attentive ear, an obedient will, but also a humble heart. Verse 15 says this, So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here I am. After that kind of encounter with God, I can't imagine that Eli slept much, right? Like, think of that for a minute. God showed up and talked to you last night. How much sleep are you gonna get? It says he laid down, but it didn't say that he slept. And so I can't imagine he slept very much. But when he does get up in the morning, he gets busy doing his normal tasks. He opens the doors of the tabernacle and gets it prepared for God's people to come and be able to worship. Here's how Warren Wearsby says it in his uh, commentary, Be Successful, on page 33. It says, Samuel had heard the voice of God and received the message of God, but he still got up early and went back to his old tasks. This shows how remarkably, uh, mature, uh, remarkable maturity on the part of the young boy. Most youths would have been proud of their experience with the Lord, rushed around delivering the message, and would not have stooped to open doors. That, that this happens to people. They, they have this experience with God. God's called me to this thing. It's this big thing, and I'm so excited about it. And, and they go about just saying all this stuff, not weighing the cost. It's, it's kind of like the way that uh, Joseph uh, did it in Genesis, right? The uh, coat of many colors. He, he gets this dream about God's gonna set him up in this greatness, and everything's bowing down to him. And he's like, hey, brothers, I had a great dream. You're all gonna bow before me. You know, like, wisdom would have indicated you probably shouldn't tell them at least not like that, you know? Uh, and so he just gets excited about it in his youth. But, but Samuel's a different kind of guy. You see, the size of the task doesn't determine the value of the work. I can't stress that enough. The size of the task does not determine the value of the work. We tend to elevate some things above other, th- other things. We categorize, categorize them as menial tasks and spiritual tasks. Here's the thing, if you will not put your hand to menial tasks, then you are not qualified to perform spiritual tasks. If you won't put your hand to menial tasks, you are not qualified to perform spiritual tasks. It's like this, after church today, we're gonna tear some stuff down and break some stuff down. I am not gonna stand around and say, I'm the preacher, I do not run the vacuum. That's just not what, I, I don't do windows, I don't pick up tables, I don't, that's just, That's just not the way that things work here. We put our hands to the work of things that need to be done. And we do it all together. If you want to climb into leadership here at Redemption, then the way up is down. That's how it works here. Serve in humility. Take on the tasks that others avoid. And that's the way that you can can find yourself in a position of leadership because that's the way that Jesus defines it. You see, faithfulness is to put your hand to the humble tasks that Jesus gives, but your pride says are beneath you. That's faithfulness. Your pride's gonna fight you the whole way. You're too, you're too good for that. You, you have people at your job that do that for you. You hire people for these things. Faithfulness says, I'll do that. I'll, I'll take out the trash. I'll pick that up. I, I will go and make sure that this is taken care of. Verse 17, and he said, what is the word? So, so Eli says, what's the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do uh, so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. I mean, isn't that, that's a heavy trip to lay on a little kid, man. 
Like, if you don't tell me, then, I, then God's going to do it to you. And Samuel's like, I don't, I don't want this judgment on me. This is crazy, man. And, and Samuel's character is revealed in that he has the humility and the courage to serve, to serve the Lord. He has the humility to submit to God's way and the courage to do it scared. You know, we, we read that um, in verse 15 that Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. You see, God doesn't need writers of his message. God doesn't need editors of his message. God needs faithful delivery boys, right? He just needs someone to show up with the message. That's it. Just deliver it. Not write it and not edit it. Just deliver it. And sometimes we have a hard time with that. You know, when you're talking to your, your friend or your coworker or your neighbor or something, you're talking about Jesus and, you know, you need to say something like, Jesus' blood is the only way for you to be saved. And you're like, ooh, that just sounds so exclusive. You know, in our world, it's all about inclusion and acceptance. And so I gotta, I think I need to sort of soften this a little bit and not make it so harsh. You know, like if you die in your sins, you're gonna go to hell. I'm like, I don't know if I wanna say that. I think I'm just going to edit that part out a little bit. Jesus wants to make your life nice. Don't you want to come to Jesus and so he can fix all your problems? And then people are like, I don't really know that I have that many problems. I think I'm good. That social gospel hasn't worked, right? Because people think their lives are fine. And what do I want? I want Jesus moving in and making me feel bad about stuff. I don't want that. I don't need any more of that. And so that doesn't, that doesn't work. We need to not edit the message of God, just faithfully deliver the message of God. Verse 18 says, uh, then Samuel told him everything and he didn't hide and he hid nothing from him. And then Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, some people look at this and they see that Eli is just, he's willing to be submitted to the thing that God wants from him. I don't see that. What I see from Eli is passive cowardice. It's, it's continued passive cowardice. He just, even now, he won't fight for his family. He won't fight for his legacy. God said to him, your line from you down, everyone is gonna die early. They're gonna die young. They're eliminated from serving me in the priesthood. That your, your people, all of your, your descendants, they are all going to be begging for the opportunity to serve. And Eli's just like, well, I guess it's God. Whatever seems right to him. no. Don't just roll over and accept that. Get up and fight. So many of us, so many men will not fight for their family. They say stupid things like, I'd die for you. Well, then live for your family. Then do something. Lead. Take that position of opportunity. Serve. Teach your children how to do some things. Show them what it's like to have integrity. Love your wife and serve her with all you have. That, that we need to be these kind of people who fight for our legacy. You can live for a good time or you can live for a good legacy. But you can't live for both. You're going to have to pick one. And if you live for a good time, you're going to forfeit a good legacy. That's exactly what happens here with these guys. We've got to be the, don't just roll over. He takes no responsibility. There's no hint of him taking responsibility. There's no hint of repentance in Eli. And God has told him over and over and over again, Eli, make it right. And he just won't. He just rolls over and just won't do anything. Not only an attentive ear, an obedient will, and a humble heart, but the fourth key to faithfulness is a godly walk. Verse 19 says it like this. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, 
and none of his words fell, uh, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew all uh, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Now, when it says from Dan to Beersheba, that's not two people, right? It's like everyone, even Dan and Beersheba knew uh, that he was. That's that's not what that means. Uh, this is saying um, like from coast to coast. That's the phrasing that we would use. Dan is in the north and Beersheba is in the south. Now this is different. This hasn't happened in Israeli uh, history that a judge was recognized by the whole nation. It was kind of like an area thing that would happen in the book of Judges. But this is the first time Samuel is established as everybody knows God is with Samuel. Now when it says that his, uh, his words don't fall to the ground, what that means is not that uh, it says that God caused everything that he said to come to pass. Now, it doesn't mean that Samuel has magical ability. It means that he has closeness to God. That Samuel said what God says. Not that Samuel was able. It's, it's like, you know, when Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, then I'll do it. That doesn't mean that you sprinkle the magic dust of in Jesus' name on your prayer. And now he's obligated to do what you said. It's not, God's not up in heaven saying, please don't say in Jesus' name. Please don't say in Jesus' name. Ah, they said it, I have to do it now. That's, that's not what's happening. It's that Samuel is close enough to God that he hears the heartbeat of God. It's like, like in the Gospel of John that says that John would lay on Jesus', Jesus breast, on his chest, and, and that's the way he reclined upon him. And John was so close to the Lord that he could hear his heartbeat. That closeness to God is what qualifies you for greatness in the kingdom of God. It's not doing the great thing that whatever you think it is. It's closeness to him. Because when you're that close, the Lord could just whisper to you. And you know what he said. And you can follow that kind of direction. Now this, what's happening here in verse, toward the end, 19 through 20, it's kind of like a montage. You know, like that movie technique where they show you short little clips of things happening and time is passing and you're learning things. You know, it's like a karate movie or something and they throw a punch and they can't do it and they hurt themselves. And then, you know, 20 seconds later, they're a master. That's kind of what's happening here. It's, a, it's just representing the passing of time, gaining of skills and development. And the important detail that we're told there in verse 19 is that the Lord was with him. Why was the Lord with him? Because Samuel made himself close to the Lord. Every time God gave Samuel direction, he followed the Lord. Here's the key. Faithfulness is to be consistently dedicated to taking the next small step Jesus puts in front of you, not looking for the big thing. We, we tend to measure life by the big things, don't we? It's that next big thing. I'm going to take that trip. I'm going to buy that thing. I'm going to go to that place. I'm going to have that experience. We tend to measure life by the big things. Those are very few and far between. It, instead, our life is actually consisting of just the, the little moments that tend to pass. We don't really pay attention to. That's what life really is. That's where our life is really lived. It's in those small kind of a things. Verse 21 and uh, the very beginning of chapter four, verse one says this, then the Lord prepared again, uh, appeared again in Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. God re revealed himself to Samuel in a very specific way. And it's still available to us today. Did you see it there? That God revealed, God appears. He reveals himself to Samuel. How? Verse 21, by the word of the Lord. God revealed himself through his word. God appeared by his word to Samuel. Many people look for an experience with God and hope that these 
moments are going to keep them living and keep them moving all the while leaving their Bibles closed and dusty. If you want God to speak to you, if you want revelation of Jesus, if you want to see him at work, if you want him to call you and equip you and empower you, then open up his word and stop expecting it to come some other way. It's not going to come that way. Whatever that thing is that you're hoping that the, the sky opens and the light comes down, and the, oh, the angels are singing, that's the Lord spoke to me. It's the way I should go. Stop expecting that. It's probably never going to happen. But you'll absolutely be spoken to by God every time you open this, without fail, guaranteed. And God is looking to do that, but, but we just leave it. We leave it closed. We put it over here somewhere and, you know, God, speak to me. God, give me direction. It's right there. Stop leaving it over there. Stop leaving it on the shelf. It's not, it's not a trinket that you put on your coffee table so that blessing comes into your house. That's just not the way that things work. You have to open it and read it and seek the Lord in it. Not just, not just the, 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 for the sake of reading a book, but for the sake of knowing the God of the book. Notice there at the end, chapter four, verse one, the, the very beginning, Samuel's word is established. But his word is established only as it was connected to, directed by, and in line with the word of God in chapter three, verse 21. Colossians 3, 16 through 17 says it like this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing and uh, in hymns and psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, God has not stopped working. He has not stopped revealed himself. He, revealing himself. He has not stopped speaking. There are just those who can see it and hear it and those who cannot. That's all it is. Just like the radio waves, just like the television waves, they are being broadcast. God's word is being broadcast. The difference is, can you hear it or can you not? Second Chronicles 16, 9, uh, 9 says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are faithfully committed to him. God is looking for those who he can show himself strong. God wants to show himself strong on your behalf. He wants to move in your life in that way that you're hoping he will. God wants to. The, the key is, it's faithfulness. If you haven't recognized your need for salvation and submitted your life to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, then that's the first step. There is no other step other than that if you haven't taken that step. And right now is the right time. Abandon your life. Abandon your sin. Jesus says, if you lose your life for my sake, then you'll find it. Abandon yourself. Seek Jesus. Ask him to save you, and he absolutely will. And if you are saved, but you've taken your life back under your own lordship, then it's time to repent. It's time to abandon your sin. Don't, don't let, let cowardice and uh, passiveness fall to the wayside and move toward the things of God. Abandon your sin and come back to Jesus. I wanna close by giving you two questions to consider today. We're gonna leave these up uh, for a little while. I just want you to think about these things. I want you to consider these things. I want you, I want you to pray about these things and say, God, would you lead me in this? Number one, what has Jesus made you for? What's your divine design? What did he, what, why did he put you together? Why do you draw breath? 
It's, it's not for no purpose. Because once your purpose is over, then he'll say, it's time to come home. And then, you know, that's why life and death is in the hands of the Lord. But you have breath, so I know you have purpose here. I know you have reason for being. And then the second question, are you faithful to the good things he planned for you long ago? Are you faithfully pursuing that? Do you know what it is? And are you doing it? That's really what it comes down to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the opportunity to see so clearly in the life of Samuel, how you called him, how you set him on a course of, of greatness, and that that greatness was designed or defined by his faithfulness to you. God, give us that kind of faithfulness. Help us to know our need for you and help us to pursue you with all that we are. We uh, dedicate ourselves afresh and anew to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.